0: I mean, the, big, the biggest question in my mind on this would be does it help or hinder the ability of takeout? Because I think takeout has turned out to be a pretty important and pretty valuable tool. The hour to which the podcast adjourned having arrived, the podcast is now in order.
1: Let's gavel in for this week's State House Takeout with the reporters on top of Beacon Hill at the State House News Service. Here's Sam Doran.
0: That was Governor Charlie Baker speaking this week about takeout, uh, well, for the restaurant industry. (laughs) Alas, not directly speaking about our takeout, but this week on the takeout, well, it is nice to have guests at the table. And joining us this week is the gentleman from Three Rivers, Representative Todd Smola, Republican of Warren, Massachusetts. He's a former Palmer Selectman and represents several communities south of the Quabbin Reservoir. Uh, With this year's state budget process still surrounded by some uncertainty, uh, maybe he can shed a bit of light for us. He's the ranking Republican member of the budget-writing House Ways and Means Committee. And joining us this week to talk with him is news service reporter Matt Murphy. Hi, guys.
2: Hi, Sam. Representative, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having
1: me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Looks like maybe you're joining us from uh, out in the western part of
1: the state. Is that correct? I am in the western part of the state. We're all happy, lush and green out here. So,
2: Oh, beautiful. While well, the rest of us are in a drought. So I, I guess I do just want to ask you to get things rolling here. Has, has this year been uh, as strange professionally for you as it has been for us?
1: I would say that's probably an understatement. Um, I don't think any of us, at least in the the legislative field, had imagined that something like this would ever happen. It's it's almost like uh, you're living in the twilight zone and it's, it's interesting because we have such a diverse job when it comes to people that communicate with us on issues because this isn't all about passing laws. It's about so many other things. So when constituents and communities contact us about issues, it, it, it kind of runs the gamut and it's, it's a hodgepodge of, of issues. Well, these days, everything is COVID and pandemic related in one way or the other. It's like you put a stop to everything else that has been going on prior to it, and now everything is, is pandemic. And it, it's rather interesting. It's interesting to talk to colleagues from other parts of the state, but all of the, the things that we're dealing with in different parts of the state are so similar in nature because everybody is, is dealing with the same challenges. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's twilight zone, no doubt about it.
2: Well, let's get started then. Uh, I do want to start with some politics. We just got through the primaries last week on Tuesday. We saw uh, by some measures a record turnout and participation, at least in raw votes, if not uh, overall percentage of registered voters. You, of course, uh, running unopposed this year. So uh, congratulations from us here at The Takeout on your reelection early, I suppose. Uh, And, you know, last week, of course, a a lot of the action was on the Democratic side of the ticket, but uh, some of your colleagues, uh, like Rep. Oldeiga of Southwick, uh, survived a a primary challenge. He now has a, a Democratic opponent in the general election. I'm curious what your sense is of what is going on in Republican politics in Massachusetts this year. And how concerned are you about November, given what we saw happen uh, over the course of the spring, summer, uh, the four special elections that were held uh, during the pandemic, including three Republican, uh, previously Republican-held seats that went to Democrats?
1: I think it's it's still tough to be a Republican in the state of Massachusetts um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, this year, it is it is rather unique. I think what's been happening on the national level, kind of the Trump factor, has certainly played into uh, having an impact on a lot of different races. Um, I think when you take a look at kind of the the overall grand picture of politics. I, I think it has become a much more of a, a nationalized arena than it has been in previous years where it's been more localized. So you go down the campaign trail now, uh, people aren't talking about local issues as much as they are about what Donald Trump tweeted or, you know, what Joe Biden said last night. So it, it, I think, at least in my opinion, I've seen over the course of the last couple of years, it's been very much a conversation that is now, you know, uh, revolved around what's going on on the national level. Um, now that we, we use the terminology, all politics is local. So obviously that trickles down to what happens uh, in local races. But I, I think in our caucus, because we, we are a small but merry band, um, it, it becomes a thousand times harder to be able to defend those seats in a state that's heavily dominated by the other party, heavily dominated by the other party in the legislature, not just in, in Democratic registered voters. Um, and I, I do believe that Politics has become more divisive. You know, if you asked me this question uh, 10 years ago, when when I was in the legislature, I would have said on the national level that even though Republicans and Democrats have lots of differences and, you know, they can fight like the Dickens at the end of the day, I I think they still had the ability to maybe shake hands and say, you know, good fight and we'll move on to the next battle. I I think that there's a greater wedge that's being driven between the, the two parties. And I think that is reflected at the ballot box as well. So, you know, this year will be a tough year. For, uh, for Republicans, I think. But I think in the wake of COVID, given so much uh, reliance and dependence upon legislators to be able to connect people and communities with resources, I think those legislators that are, are doing that job, and I know m- most of them uh, are, um, I, I think that they they will fare pretty well in November.
2: Given that bleed of national politics uh, into uh, these state races, into state politics, into uh, the discussions and what's on the minds of voters, uh, what do you think about the shift that we've seen uh, at the state party and the mass GOP since Kirsten Hughes stepped down as chair, since your former colleague Jim Lyons uh, took over? Uh, The chairman now is a very pro-Trump Republican, has uh, shifted the focus a bit uh, to the right. We see this in their emails and their mailings. Do you think this is good for the Republican Party uh, in the growth of the Massachusetts Republican Party long term? I think
1: it's a careful balancing act without question. I mean, again, Trump very much because he's at the top um, drives the narrative on so many of these issues. But I think sometimes what we lose sight of is the fact that the national message isn't always the message of the party on the state level or even at the local level. And I think when uh, we stray away from the issues that matter most to the constituency within our base, I think that that's where we run into trouble. I think if the Republican Party in a state like Massachusetts stays consistent on issues of not wanting to see government grow too big, um, wanting to have uh, taxes low, wanting to make sure that local municipalities have voice and we don't rip it away through regulation and legislation, I think at the end of the day, the people are with us on those issues and and we win. But when we drift too far to the extreme on either side, I think that's sort of a recipe for disaster. And, you know, I'm not just saying this as a Republican. Speak to my Democratic colleagues who agree with kind of the same philosophy. We don't do our best work on the extreme ends of issues. We do our best work typically in the middle of issues. Um, You know, sitting on conference committees for budgets over the period of the last you know six years, all the conference committees for budgets and uh, for the supplemental budgets, I've learned in that room, having gone through three chairs now that, um, you know, things get a little contentious and a little divisive when you dig in, but you realize that you can meet uh, individuals halfway and find some common ground, and you can, there's always some sort of success there. You may not get everything you're looking for, but I think legislatively and, and politically on issues, when we are reasonable, when we think these things through, and when we don't drift too far away from our constituency, I think that that's a, a recipe for success. I don't think it's good for the Republican Party or any political party out there to get labeled. Uh, as uh, a, a party that is extreme in one corner uh, uh, over another. I think you got to look at these issues. You have to have a measured approach. You have to stay true to your convictions. But but at the same time, you have to be rooted and grounded. And so, you know, there's been some contention in our party. There's no doubt about it. And and people are frustrated and upset. They have every right to be. But at the end of the day, I think in terms of party politics, we're, we're all in this together. In Massachusetts, we need more balance. I think that, that there's no question about that. We need more balance. Balance, to make sure that more issues are brought up, debated, and reasonably discussed out there in the open. And so if we kind of stayed focused in that arena, I think we would have more success.
2: We've heard from uh, some of the more conservative uh, elements uh, of the party, uh, of activists, and uh, a fellow rep of yours, Rep. Sean Dooley, has actually filed an amicus brief in a lawsuit uh, that's going to be heard in the Supreme Judicial Court. Uh, tomorrow, actually challenging Governor Charlie Baker and the executive orders uh, that he has put in place to try and control the spread of uh, COVID 19 uh, across Massachusetts, everything from uh, mask wearing guidances to the, to the mandatory shutdowns and this phased reopening. Uh, how do you think the governor has done handling the pandemic? And uh, do you uh, agree with uh, Reb Dooley and others that perhaps he has overstepped his authority?
1: I think that the governor overall has handled himself extremely well. I think the administration as a whole, their mission has been to be helpful to everybody in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Um, and, and I also believe that there there are things that, you know, maybe um, weren't necessarily the, the best decisions at the end of the day by a lot of people on a lot of different levels and i'm not just talking you know about it, it in agencies of the state government i'm talking about agencies within the federal government but let's be realistic and practical here nobody ever expected this type of a pandemic and good science doesn't have um, answers to this stuff without years and years of research. So you talk about mask wearing, you talk about social distancing, you talk about the infection numbers, you you talk about the impact that the science has on one arena over over the other. It's really difficult to try and reach long-term conclusions about something like this pandemic when we are simply moving from day to day, plugging in the data we get every single day. We don't have years of information to look back on. We're looking back on months of information. So to the degree where people are very passionate about this, to the degree where people have differences and disagree with policy or standards that have been hand down, I respect the the fact that they want to pursue those things. We have to remember that in the middle of this pandemic, people are hurting. Businesses have been closed. Financially, people are going through savings. They're worried about their jobs. Many of those jobs ain't coming back because COVID has changed the world. So I I would, with uh, due respect to to Representative Dooley, I think he's got every right to express his opinion. A lot of legislators feel, feel, um, share his opinion, and and a lot of legislators disagree with that opinion. I think we're all trying our best to deal with a, a situation that we are just so uncertain of. We all want the same thing at the end of the day. We want people to stay safe. We want them to be healthy. We want to get things moving again. We recognize that they're not going to be the same as they always have been. But along the way, there are going to be these differences. And that is the great thing about living in a state like Massachusetts, living in a country like America. We have the ability to be able to express differing opinions. Um, You know, uh, Rev. Dooley's filed the amicus brief. It's going before the court. They're going to take a look at it. They'll render a decision. And uh, the most important thing at the end of the day is that we stand by, uh, that that decision. And we we follow the direction of our courts and the guidance of what what our leaders are doing at the top level. So, you know, I think Governor Baker overall deserves very, very high marks. I think he's handling himself well. Uh, Every single agency under his direction has been giving guidance to the best of their ability, right down to the local level. They've given choice at the local level, whether it be uh, with your boards of health, with your school systems, with your local municipalities that have to make these tough decisions. This is not an easy thing. And I don't think anybody has a monopoly on wisdom when it comes to these decisions at the end of the day we're doing the very best that we can
2: okay well before we shift gears a little i, I did want to ask given we're in these unprecedented times of uh an extended formal session uh, business still before the legislature when normally you'd be out running for re-election uh As we mentioned before, you don't have a challenger uh, this cycle, so I'm wondering, uh, have you been able to get out there, campaign at all for your colleagues, and do you think you'll be able to, or has COVID kind of put a damper on what uh, people in your position might normally be doing this time of year?
1: Campaigns have definitely changed. Um, you're not doing the traditional meet and greets, uh, the grip and grins, uh, so to speak, that we call in the business, because many of these events aren't taking place. Uh, they've been canceled because of the pandemic. And uh, so I don't think candidates are getting out there in the traditional fashion that that they've been used to. Uh, they are still trying to connect with constituencies, but I also think there's a very fine line um, that candidates uh, have to walk when doing that because of the circumstances, again, of this pandemic. Yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's more challenging for people that are running for re-election to go out there and and sort of be talking about the traditional campaign issues when so many people are hurting or are impacted by this one common issue. You're not really out there talking about, about the big-ticket traditional stuff that comes up during campaigns. You're not really talking about too much legislation like you would typically do in a regular, normal campaign environment. That's just not happening happening. So what So what I've been dealing with with colleagues and, and working on is to help them to continue to get their messages out in terms of being an available resource in the middle of this pandemic, that these these offices are open, that they are accessible, which is extremely important because people with such uncertainty want to be able to pick up the phone and they want to be able to get in touch with somebody. I think all of my colleagues on both sides of the political aisle have done that very effectively and very well um, because at the end of the day, even though we have political differences, we're all kind of on the same team team. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a different season. But at the end of the day, people will still have to, to get reelected. And so they're going to do what they have to do. I think the direct messaging, um, you know, either through um, now us- utilizing technology more than, than has been in the past is something that a lot of candidates are doing more, you know, online advertising, Facebook, YouTube, and the like, um, you know, even, even direct mail, I think, is upticked a little bit because now we have so many people that aren't going to be going to the polls on election day. No doubt we'll, we may address that in, in a moment or two. But uh, given the numbers that we've seen across Across Massachusetts, there's lots of people that are taking advantage of early voting. So I think uh, candidates have to adjust to their message and do it sooner. Typically, you'd be looking at the last 10 days up to November uh, election as the time where you do your aggressive push. Now, when you have so many people that are going to be voting early uh, through through balloting at home and through mail-in balloting, um, that message is going to come out much sooner because those ballots are going to be going out in mid-October. So it does shift everything and it moves, I think, that calendar up quite quite aggressively.
2: All right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on on Beacon Hill. Uh, Neither one of us are there right now, but uh, sessions are continuing. Uh, Formal sessions were extended at the end of July through the end of the year until the new legislature is uh, sworn in. And and here we sit September 10th. Uh, There still is no uh, annual state budget in place for the fiscal 2021, which began on July uh, 1st. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any sense uh, from your role as the ranking minority member of the Ways and Means Committee, what kind of activity we're going to be seeing from the legislature over the next uh, few
1: months? Yeah, a great question. I wouldn't say that it's going to be um, th- this uh, extensive um, stream of formal sessions that are coming down the road. I don't think it was ever intended to be that when we came together and decided to extend the formal session schedule. I think it was put in place due to the circumstances of the pandemic as a measured approach so that we could be prepared for anything that came down the pike. Uh, wh- whether the membership need to be together to address budget concerns, um, you know, we've got clo- we have to do a closeout uh, for, for the, the previous year. We still have to address uh, the budget beyond October 31st which is is now in in the process of being discussed, and then anything else that comes between now and the end of the year, including any action that happens on the federal level with respect to Massachusetts, whether it's financing that comes back through some sort of assistance package. So I, I think we did the right thing, but I also think that we have to be very, very leery about opening up the legislative sessions kind of to this free-for-all of any legislative initiative that comes forward. Um, you know, there are so many things that are in the pipeline, thousands of bills that never, you know, advance or get their opportunity to To move forward. So I would hope that in the next few months, we focus on the real priorities that that are mattering most to the people in Massachusetts. And that's dealing with the budget, dealing with anything that's pandemic related, or any of the big issues that have come up. Telehealth and telemedicine is a perfect example. Um, Issues like that, that that kind of focus with with laser-like precision on the, the, the challenge that is before us in this public health crisis, I think is where we should kind of stay. The minute we start traveling outside of those lanes, it becomes very, very difficult to tell groups or constituencies that your issue is more important than somebody else's issue. So we decided to take this one up. I think we have to have a measured approach and we have to be reasonable about what we bring to the table.
2: So staying within those lines, does the GOP caucus in the House have an agenda for the remainder of 2020? Do you think there are any uh, pandemic specific things that need to be done, whether or not that's uh, more assistance for small businesses or the like?
1: So the House has created a uh, uh, commission, a committee, a special committee called the Resilience and Recovery uh, Committee, uh, of which I am a member. It's chaired by uh, Leader Mariano. We've met a couple of times over the period of the last few months. And the intent of the, the committee is to address and bring up issues that are really focused uh, around the pandemic and the public health crisis, Um, issues relative to labor shortages in particular arenas, issues uh, related to telehealth and and telemedicine, which we sort of addressed uh, before we kind of uh, adjourned for the August uh, month. And so in our caucus, there's one huge priority, I think, related to this pandemic that we will stay focused on between now and the end of the year, and that's dealing with the budget. Uh, October 31st, um, you know, we we've, we appropriated a, a 16 plus billion dollar budget that gets us to October 31st, but we still have municipalities that are very dependent upon lots of resources for the rest of the year. It's very very difficult to give them instruction and uh, guidance on where to go and what to do when we don't have any numbers for them. What we have done in agreement with the legislative leadership and the governor is to uh, tell our municipalities that we have made the commitment to basically carry over the same number of local aid that we did last year, and also in the in the um, territory of school funding to add an additional $107 million on top of that to help deal with enrollment challenges and other things that are related to the pandemic. So I think in terms of our caucus, we, you know, where the rubber meets the road is always the budget. And because we aren't going to have a complete budget, I think that's the, the key issue that we will be focused on at the very, very top of our agenda between now and the end of the year.
2: All right. Well, let's let's talk about the budget. From where you sit today, uh, the current temporary three month budget expires on October thirty first. Do you think a, a full year budget will be in place by that time, or do you anticipate uh, more extensions later into the year?
1: It's tough to say. Um, I would say that's a coin flip, and uh, you know I, I don't mean to be political in the answer <laughs> uh, because. It's contingent upon a lot of things. Uh, obviously the, the delay in, in um the tax collections where we extended the date has had a ripple effect on money that's coming into the Commonwealth to our bottom line. Uh, the, the last revenue numbers that we got were a little bit better than I think we were expecting, which was good news. So that helps kind of the bottom line of, of things. But as no doubt you've reported on and you've heard many times before, the, the big thing that we're waiting on is to see what the federal government is going to do. We are waiting for some sort of federal action and um, you know, I think everybody in the federal level is to blame for the inaction, uh, you know, from the White House right to the, the Senate and and the and the House. Um, these folks have to get together and come up with an assistance package that has kind of come back down to, to uh, states so that we know how we can plan for the rest of the year. Now, if Washington, D.C. comes down and says, we're giving you nothing, folks. Tough luck. Live with it. Great. Um, uh, And I don't mean great. I mean, great as in sarcastically great, because um, at the end of the day, we need that help. But, But the uncertainty of not knowing that it creates such a challenge for us on the state level. And so some guidance and direction from the feds would really, really be helpful to us because it's difficult for us to plan. Our budgets typically are planned and negotiated based upon growth and expansion and improvement, whether that's in local aid for cities and towns, for education, for human services programs, but it's tough to do that when you know you already have a budget shortfall and this uncertainty as to whether or not aid is going to come from the federal government. So I I would say that, I would be surprised if we did a budget that extended to the end of the fiscal year. Um, But I hold out hope that that's possible. But given what I'm seeing right now, I would say that that would be tough to do.
2: Interesting. Uh, The governor made a similar appeal yesterday during a press conference uh, to Washington and leaders of of both parties to come together on a stimulus package that included funding for the states. And uh, you also mentioned the August revenue report, which uh, was surprisingly positive news in in this landscape, even after crediting back some money to FY20 from the income tax uh, delays. Uh, it looked as though growth over the first two months of the fiscal year was uh, about 3%. A side effect of the COVID-19 pandemic is that as people are social distancing, wearing masks, and taking other uh, health precautions, they are getting sick less with the more routine things like ear infections, sore throats, respiratory illness like pneumonia that might require a hospitalization. <laughs> what that has done, the governor said, is drive down health care costs for the state. Uh, Mass health, of course, a huge part of uh, the state's budget. Uh, It made us wonder, uh, given that at one point in this crisis, uh, a a budget crisis, one point in this pandemic, a budget crisis seemed almost inevitable. And the forecasts were for uh, six billion or more uh, in revenue shortfalls. Do you still feel that that uh, looming budget crisis is a sure thing? and is the federal relief as necessary as maybe you once thought it was before we've seen some of these positive trends uh, in the in the state's fiscal health?
1: Well, the early information that we're getting right now, and, and I stress the, 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 the words early information, but the early information we're getting right now is that the our long-term budget challenge may not be as bad as we first predicted. Uh, but only time will tell i mean so so sitting here today we it's 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 just like covid you can only look at the data from a dated from day to day because you're plugging it in day to day you don't have 10 years of projections of infections and things to look back at In in terms of this budget we've not faced anything like it in 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 ever so i i would say that this the, the given what we know right now the situation looks better than we thought it would but i i am very cautious to say that All of the things long term that we have not yet seen come to pass are going to be the real true questions of of what happens there. Example is, I mean, you know, look at what's happening with um, online um, employment now. Many folks aren't going to be returning to their offices ever. So, what does that do to the commercial real estate market in our larger cities? As an example, you know what what happens to that? And what's the chain reaction that happens as a result of that in communities and cities and um, municipalities that are so dependent upon five thousand workers that come in, you know, every single day and do their jobs and spend time in their restaurants and their shops and their stores? You, we're, we're not going to really see that for a, a longer period of time, but all of those factors. Uh, come back to the state budget in some way, shape, or form. So I would say on the surface, given what we know today, situation better than what we had thought it was going to be, but I don't think we're going to feel the long-term consequences or impact from this pandemic, probably for a couple years out, to be quite candid with you. So you know, I'm optimistic for the here and the now. For the long term, not so certain about what that's going to look like.
2: Okay. The The other big thing, apart from the budget, when the session was extended, uh, legislative leaders said they wanted to give uh, time uh, to get some of these major pieces of legislation done that are currently in conference committee. These are uh, police reform. uh, There's a major energy bill, uh, the economic development and jobs bill. Uh, the healthcare bill, you've talked a bit today about the telehealth uh, expansions. Uh, I know you don't sit on any of those conference committees, which is maybe a good thing for our purposes, since uh, that frees you up to talk about them. But uh, what is happening with those conference committees? Has some of the wind been taken out of the sails of, uh, of the momentum there to get some of these things done quickly?
1: Well, I'll only offer my personal opinion, you know, based upon what I know. And usually, you're right. I'm I'm the person on budget conference saying I'm sorry, but you know, nothing to see here. I can't talk about it. Um, I would say that there seemed to be initially. Uh, a lot of momentum around a number of these issues that went into conference. It seems that a lot of that has died down. Now, having served on a lot of conference committees in the past related to the budget, which have a lot of moving parts and are very detailed and involved, um, you know, conference committees aren't just about six people getting into a room on a regular basis. There's a lot of give and take that goes back and forth. But I'm not speaking out of school here w- when I say that. I don't think w- one conference committee is an island in and of itself. We all know. Know that. The way the, the, the political game works is that all of these things are, are kind of mixed together a, as one. One conference committee and it being reported out kind of has an impact on another one because they, you want to reach consensus. And sometimes consensus doesn't necessarily stay within the domain of the one issue that you're talking about in, in a particular bill. So I would say all of these things are kind of connected. It would be nice now that we have extended the formal session schedule that they kind of make some final decisions on these conference committee reports so that it can come back to the membership and we can vote on it. We've seen before in sessions previous where when at the end of July the clock runs out and these conference committees don't deliver their report by midnight on that last day, poof, they disappear and they don't exist because they have to come back for a final vote and we're not coming back. There's no excuse now where that can't get done. So you know we're we're, we're here, um, you know, by the extension order until the the, set, the new session begins next year. Um, I would like to think that they can reach consensus on these conference committees. There's plenty of time to do so. But again, it's not just the issues that are before them in in the particular uh, conference package it's everything that's going on on the hill they, you know it all touches one another so I would hope that they can they can reach compromise and I will tell you talking to some of the conferees on various uh, conference committees that are that are now in discussions um, some have said they've been having very good conversations back and forth some have said that things have kind of slowed down but you know to a crawl and um, you know that that is. It does want to happen I suppose in this business but um, the other thing is everybody is up for re-election this year. So you know, no doubt, campaigns have an impact on whether or not you can come together and you know actually get this work done. But you know, I will be the eternal optimist on this one and say, yep, I think they can they can get somewhere with some of this stuff. You start this over uh, in the start of the new session and uh, trying to negotiate some of these things into a conference, you know, type situation in the new term. It's going to be that more challenging to get these issues forward. So I I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic that some of stuff can get done.
2: Well, on that note, uh, representative Smola, I want to thank you for your uh, time and your insight. Uh, I think this was a great conversation and I just have one more question that I saved until the end to not scare you off right away. But, uh, November 3rd, uh, how are you voting and are you voting for Joe Biden or Donald Trump?
1: I never tell people how I'm voting in a presidential election ever, but I always encourage people to vote at the end of the day, and. Uh, my my 16 uh, year old daughter tells to asks me at home all the time you know who are you going to vote for in this election or that election and uh, I, I give her the, the same answer i said i will tell you on the day after the election <laughs> so um you know look at, at, at the end of the day i think people are, are are extremely passionate this year people are are very um you know energized and enthused um and they're very extreme in a lot of cases so um, i like the Primary numbers that have come out in Massachusetts, they were very high. I hope that translates into the November election, I really do. And I want people to uh, you know, stick with their convictions and recognize the fact that we're not just voting for the here and now, we're voting for the long-term on all levels and that COVID will drive the agenda over the period of the next few years. So you know, very much be thinking about that in our economy in mind and um, hopefully people will make the right decisions. Thank you, Representative. Thank you very much.
0: Thank, thank you very much, Representative. And on, on the presidential note, I know that you, uh, you have quite a collection of presidential memorabilia in your office, too, uh, don't you?
1: <laughs> I do. You know what? Anytime I'm not in the office, you want to swing by and take a look at things, go for it.
0: Hey, thanks very much. Um, all right. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Rep. And, and thank you, Matt.
1: Thank you. Statehouse Takeout is a production of the Statehouse News Service. And for a daily fix of Statehouse headlines, visit Masterlist.com. Masterlist with two S's. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.